1-0, the scoreboard at the Karachi Gymkhana read. The gentle winter sun kindled the flush of shame that coursed through the young opening batsman as he began the long march back to the pavilion. Fifteen days short of his 24th birthday when he made his first-class debut for Pakistan Railways on the 10th of December 1973, Nawaz Sharif had seemed set for great things. Flying down from Islamabad to play for the Lahore Gymkhana, an entourage of family retainers and sidekicks in tow, Nawaz had been hailed in local newspapers for his long string of pearl-like centuries in club-level matches. The journalist Peter O'Born wasn't convinced. The to-be Prime Minister, he wrote, was undoubtedly helped by the choice of umpires. But no one was ever impolite enough to tell Nawaz that. Sadly, his debut first-class match was also his last. Earlier this week, the former Prime Minister's daughter, Maryam Nawaz, took over as Chief Minister of Punjab. Like its coalition ally, the Pakistan People's Party, the Pakistan Muslim League Nawaz or PMLN is handing power to a new generation. The PMLN has shaped the country's political destiny for decades, but its prospects are increasingly unclear. Although the PMLN had the unconcealed support of Pakistan's political umpire in the just-concluded elections, the political umpire being the army, Independent candidates who back-jailed former Prime Minister Imran Khan emerged as by far the largest bloc. Nawaz was elected as Pakistan's Prime Minister three times and each time was bowled out by the military before completing his innings. His failure, though, cannot be blamed only on the general's toxic hold over Pakistan or bad umpiring. As the PPP had done and Imran Khan would do in his turn, Nawaz encouraged corruption, undermined democratic institutions and collaborated with Islamists. For decades, Nawaz seems to have sought to erase the stain on his honour inflicted at the Karachi Gymkhana. Imran Khan, then national team captain, has written that Nawaz appointed himself captain and insisted on opening the batting in a warm-up match with the West Indies ahead of the 1987 World Cup. Facing the world's most feared peace-space attack, test batter Mohammad Nazar, I quote, wore batting pads, a thigh pad, chest pad, an arm guard, a helmet and reinforced gloves. Nawaz Imran says took the crease in pads and a floppy hat, apparently oblivious to the danger posed by cricket balls hurtling towards him at speeds upwards of 140 kilometers per hour. I quickly inquired if there was an ambulance ready, Imran remembered. Fortunately, fast bowling great Patrick Patterson's first ball went through to the keeper and the second ball ploughed into the stumps both times before Nawaz could lift his bat. The only injuries were to his ego. Later that week, Nawaz succeeded in scoring one run in a warm-up match against England before being bowled out by Philip de Freitas. The progress might have been small, but it proved a good omen. Led by his father, Muhammad Sharif, Nawaz's family had moved from a village near Amritsar to Lahore after the partition. The historian Aisha Jalal has recorded that Western Pakistan's economy was dominated by just eight large feudal landed families. 
the modernization process set in place by Field Marshal Mohammad Ayub Khan though created space for families like the Sharifs to prosper. Through the 1960s, anthropologist Rosita Armitage tells us, the family set up several industrial units including ice making plants and a water pump factory. Even as Nawaz stepped out to bat at the Karachi Gymkhana, his family had become mired in an existential crisis though. In 1972, Prime Minister Zulfikar Ali Bhutto nationalized the steel industry in pursuit of what he called Islamic socialism. The Sharif family lost its crown jewel, the Ittifaq steel mills. Like other members of the fledgling industrial bourgeois, Muhammad Sharif understood that political power was needed to protect his interests and get back what he'd lost. Nawaz was pushed into provincial politics and later joined Air Marshal Muhammad Azgar Khan's centrist Tehreek-e-Istiklal. Even later, under military ruler General Muhammad Ziaul Haq, Nawaz became chief minister of Punjab, helped by family connections to the military, at the head of a coalition of the religious right-wing parties. Following General Zia's death in 1988, just months after the World Cup, Nawaz was recruited by the military to lead the Islami Jamuri Itihad, an alliance of his own party, the Jamaat-e-Islami, the Jamaat-Ullema-e-Islam, and the Jamaat-Ullema-e-Pakistan. In other words, a full spectrum of the religious parties. The military, political scientist Wali Nasser records, would defeat the PPP and reproduce Zia's Islamization order, but through the democratic process. In 1990, Prime Minister Benazir Bhutto was evicted from office and Nawaz was installed in her place. Following his rise to power though, Nawaz sensed there was an opportunity to dismantle the military's hegemony. In 1993, President Gulak Ishaq Khan appointed General Wahid Kakar as Pakistan Army Chief, superseding Lieutenant Generals Rahim Dil Bhatti, Mohammad Ashraf, Farah Khan and Arif Bangash. The Prime Minister didn't have a problem with the superstition as such, but he'd hoped to appoint a pliant figure. According to Jalal, he responded to the situation by trying to buy top military commanders. This was a bad mistake. Nawaz proved unable to take on the bowling and was forced to resign by General Kakar. Like Nawaz, Pakistan's cricket team also struggled after 1987. General Ali Akbar Khan, Imran's cousin, who was, by the way, later accused of embezzling millions of dollars and stashing them in illegal foreign bank accounts, gave the captain a free run. This encouraged factional feuds inside the team, tearing it apart. Following a series of disastrous matches in the 1992 World Cup though, Imran succeeded in leading the team to an improbable triumph. This captain's victory came exactly at the time Nawaz was evicted from office. Imran writes in his autobiography that he began to consider getting involved in politics and running for office on an anti-corruption platform around this time. Even though Imran and Nawaz were to become implacable foes, their political positions weren't always sharply different. Take for example Imran's promise to build what he calls an Islamic welfare state. That phrase is borrowed verbatim from a speech Nawaz gave to parliament in August 1998. Nawaz had proposed a new law to, and I quote, implement complete Islamic laws where the Quran and the Sunnat are supreme. 
the law would have obliged the government to do things like enforcing prayers five times a day and collecting religious tithes. Nawaz sought peace talks with jihadists in 2010, just like Imran Khan was doing. This rightward march of Nawaz's second government was driven by his need to accumulate power, as he did battle with the army. Following a public call made by General Jahangir Karamat to set up a national security council and thus give the army an institutional say in decision making, Nawaz sacked his military chief. He turned to General Parvez Musharraf, who he considered to be a political lightweight. Nawaz's Islamic legislation and his reported plans to declare himself an Amir like the Taliban chief in Afghanistan were intended to win the support of the religious right against the army. Within months though, Nawaz and his new army chief were clashing over Pakistan's India policy and terrorism. General Musharraf used jihadists to undermine Nawaz and two attempts were made on the Prime Minister's life. Following the Kargil war, Nawaz hit back with a botched attempt to depose General Musharraf. Like his first attempt to push back against the military, this second effort ended clean-bold. Nawaz was deposed in a coup imprisoned and forced into exile. To attribute Nawaz's stances simply to tactical posturing against the army though is misleading. Like him, his wife Kulsum, who died in 2018, seems to have held deep personal Islamist beliefs. In speeches she made after her husband was exiled by Musharraf, Kulsum claimed the government was deposed and I quote now, to end the Kashmir Jihad and shut down religious seminaries. And just like Imran Khan did last year, Kulsum blamed the government sacking on, I quote, conspiracies by non-Muslim countries. Even though he never got the opportunity to bat a second innings in 1973, you see, Pakistan Railways crushed Pakistan International Airlines' B-team by an innings, politics ended up giving Nawaz a third chance. Following a political deal that ended General Musharraf's rule, Nawaz Sharif contested elections in 2013. This time, returning from exile, he allied with jihadist groups like the Lashkar-e-Jhangvi, which was responsible for large-scale killings of Shia Muslims, particularly in southern Punjab. Leaders of the PMLN campaigned alongside jihadist leaders ahead of the elections, while the Tehreek-e-Taliban attacked the party's secular opponents like the Awami National Party, the Mutahida Qaumi movement. The Pakistan army had accepted Nawaz's return infuriated by an alleged PPP attempt to recruit United States government support to dismantle the military's primacy. Four years later though, Nawaz would yet again be bowled out by the military, amid bitter differences over his efforts to make peace with India. Imran, who succeeded Nawaz, was chased off the throne in turn as we all know. Even as Maryam railed against Imran for using religion as a political weapon, the PMLN has levelled charges of so-called blasphemy against its opponents too, empowering extremists in a country already torn apart by religious violence. During his last tenure, Prime Minister Shahbaz Sharif even tightened Pakistan's controversial laws, which have placed dozens of innocent people on death row. Safdar Awan, Maryam's husband, publicly defended Mumtaz Kadri, who was executed in 2018 for the blasphemy murder of Punjab Governor Salman Taseer. Awan also delivered a speech in the National Assembly, assailing and abusing the persecuted Ahmadi minority. Like the Bourbons, 
Pakistan's political elite have shown that they have forgotten nothing but learned nothing from history. Even as he tenaciously pursued electoral power, Nawaz ended up unleashing forces that have rotted Pakistan's democracy from within. His successors show no signs that they'll be able to lead the country away from what seems to be a long, inevitable sunset. I'm Praveen Swami and I'm a contributing editor at The Print. Thank you for watching Security Code.